0: Italian Wine Podcast chin, chin with Italian Wine People
1: Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Ward, and my guest today is Rebecca Hopkins. Rebecca is the Executive Vice President of a company called Colangelo and Partners, which is based in San Francisco. Welcome. Thank you, Monty. Right, let's just go back to the beginning, start at the beginning. Where are you from?
0: Uh, McLaren Vale, South Australia.
1: Okay, and how did you get into wine?
0: I grew up actually in a non-wine drinking family, and uh, I always wanted to be a geologist. And so in Australia, that's a relatively difficult path from a uh, university studies point of it's it's a very highly competitive arena and so well, i thought geology geology because is... you
1: have all these natural resources don't you correct
0: yeah and a lot of people who would like to enter the field and so i thought if i came at it still from the earth sciences side i came at it through wine and studied wine business at adelaide university
1: so the business side was obviously very important to you
0: it became more important i mean i really wanted the foundation of the agricultural side of things which living out at roseworthy campus with 800 farmers and of which i think 100 of us were female. It was a very interesting Time of my university life.
1: Well, right, and Roseworthy is famous <laughs> for its wine education programs, amongst other things.
0: It is, yeah, and it's the it's really the Australian Davis or the Australian, you know, Bordeaux University. For okay, sure.
1: so after that, what was your next step?
0: So, well, when I was studying, I actually took a job at We're Aware Vineyards. So I was working in the cellar and the cellar door combination of in the cellar operations, but mostly in the tasting room. And then from there, I fell in love with an oyster farmer, moved to Tasmania.
1: An oyster farmer.
0: An oyster farmer in uh, in Kettering, in the south of just south of. Hobart and uh, we had a 100 acre water lease and uh, we were farming oysters and mussels and periwinkles and then I looked up one day from the lease and saw the Aurora Australis Antarctic Exploration Vessel going up the Don Tricosto Channel and thought what the heck am I doing here I have this wine degree and I'm not using it so needless to say relationship fell apart I moved back to Adelaide and um, joined Robert Hill Smith uh, he was running Negotiants Australia obviously and owns Yolumba Wines.
1: So why is he important very briefly?
0: He's important because he's one one of the oldest family-owned, you know, multi-generational producers in Australia, and uh, was one of was renowned and still is for having a fantastic import portfolio. And so I worked primarily as a marketing assistant on the import side of the world, which is when I started uh, really working with Italian wine.
1: Okay, so it's quite interesting that you know you've gone to a sort of Australian wine blue chip university. I know you had the sort of shellfish. Are they shellfish? Mussels? Yes. Okay. at the show bivalves. Bivalves. Oh, bivalves. 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 Mm-hmm. beg your pardon. I don't <laughs> want to offend any bivalves on this show. And you worked for somebody that was making Australian wine but importing foreign wine, mm-hmm. particularly European wine. And that really for you was the catalyst, was it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was really, I, I remember I would sit there and transcribe Clive Coates' reviews and transcribe the very early days of Parker. And Kit Stevens would, would run all of the Aura uh, Bordeaux Negociant business. And so I would... So briefly s- you see... For those of people that don't know who Kit is. Kit is, the uh, well, late Kit Stevens is one of the great uh, wine negotiants in the UK and uh, really was uh, one of the founding gentlemen that really helped grow European wine in Australia.
1: So you sort decided of, to hang out with some um, high-level, highly respected, highly knowledgeable wine icons.
0: I did. I had to pick up Angelo Geyer at the airport one day and I took my Wine Spectator magazine with me to the airport because I knew what he would look like and uh, off the plane stepped this impeccably dressed, you know, beguiling Italian man, and uh, I think I found my, my calling.
1: Right, so when, when was the wedding?
0: <laughs> we never formalised it.
1: Okay. Oh, no, that's another story we can follow up at some stage. Interesting. Okay, so you were sort of meeting blue chip producers. Mm. Next up.
0: Yeah, so blue chip producers then took me to work for a woman called Pam Dunsford at a company called Pathway Estate. I was the only full-time employee. Um, Pam was a Churchill Fellowship winner, first female winemaker at Roseworthy, and uh, I entered and won the Von Champagne Award. I was the first student winner in 1996. For Um, what? What were
1: you actually being awarded for, for your winemaking? For my...
0: Not awarded... for my knowledge and my study and my passion for all things champagne. And uh, so there was a student, a non-professional and a professional sector. So Pam was the one that uh, pushed me through that and then I joined Pathway Estate, a very, very, very small sparkling house in Pathway, South Australia, which then took me to join Rymal Winery in Coonawarra in marketing and exporting and sales and then joining uh, Hardy Wine Company or BRL Hardy as we were back then in my first communications role as their uh, public relations manager, managing uh, all of our domestic, you know, wine business. For how for how big
1: is or was BRL Hardy? Was it selling three bottles a year? Or
0: oh goodness, uh, we were Australia's largest producer by volume and value, and I think our stat was a bottle of Hardys is sold somewhere in the world every three seconds, and so it was a substantial big step on into commercial winemaking, and uh, we were acquired by Constellation Brands in two thousand and three, uh, and after the acquisition, I. I was then uh, ultimately moved to San Francisco by Constellation Brands to set up and establish a luxury communications and events division for Constellation Brands. So that's what got me to the US.
1: So you founded your own company in the states, or you founded a company under their umbrella? No,
0: no. I was working for Hardy, and then uh, we were acquired by Constellation, and so I was an intercompany transfer, considered a micro move from uh, Renella, South Australia, to San Francisco, California.
1: So how was the transition for you on a personal level?
0: Difficult. Very difficult. I think, uh, you know, although I was working obviously for a publicly listed Australian company, we were still very much run like a private family owned business. Good thing or a bad thing? Both. I would say a good thing from a values point of view, but obviously there was a reason they were sold. And uh, stepping into the, as I call the mothership of Constellation Brands was quite a culture shock. And I luckily at the time, our CEO was a gentleman called Jose Fernandez, who was one of the great leaders and thinkers of the wine business. And he really, he'd come up through the ranks. He was actually a Juilliard grad conductor. His background was music and composition, but he was running the wine division for Constellation. And so, you know, coming over, we were a little protected because we were the West Coast outpost of the headquarters in New York. But, you know, Australian Stock Exchange reporting and trading is very different to New York Stock Exchange, investor relations, corporate communications, and, of course, brand public relations.
1: Well, much tougher, much more competitive. Much, tougher, be much more precise,
0: precise, transparent. I would, I would say that uh, the amount of regulation, of course, because this was all after you know 2008, obviously came in pretty quick and hard. Yeah, and so I'm we, we went through the you know the global financial crisis. And uh, being a publicly listed company at that point, there was a lot of rules and regulations. For me, I was far more focused on the on the brand communication side of things. But uh, you know, it's it's run as a you know kind of Fortune 500 top companies, so...
1: So did that then morph into Colangelo and Partners? Yeah, or it did.
0: So I stayed with uh, Constellation, and obviously we acquired and divested a number of companies in that time. And by the time I left in 2012, I actually joined Michael Mondavi for Folio Fine Wine Partners because I was done with corporate wine. Why, I,
1: why did it? Why was it a relief to get out of corporate? I,
0: I'm not a corporate person. I never intended to be a corporate person. I ne- just never would have guessed. Yeah, I just ended up there because um, you know it's it's where my career path took me. And I was actually getting ready to go back to Australia. I was done. I still have my house in McLaren Vale. Um, I love going home. It's where I'm, you know, most at Piece. And so I got a call from an ex-colleague at Constellation who asked me to produce a celebrity chef tour of which I would rather um, lay on a freeway than produce another high-profile event. And I said, no, thank you. But I was fascinated to meet Michael Mondavi and the Mondavi family because, of course, with Constellation, I had written a lot of the books on the, the Sands viewpoint of, of the deal. And uh, we'd, we'd managed Mr. Mondavi's passing.
1: The, sad, the Sands family, which is the owner of Constellation, right? Yes.
0: Yes, the family. And, and still, owned by the two brothers Richard and and Rob the sons of Marvin the founder and uh, so I wanted to meet Michael Mondavi that was the whole reason I took the interview and uh, it was my birthday and uh, I walked in the room and somehow someone had told Michael it was my birthday so he sang to me sang me a birthday tune and uh, gave me a bottle of champagne somehow knowing that was my weakness and uh, I signed on with folio you know the day, a day after. And I stayed with them for uh, just shy of six years. And then Gino Colangelo, the owner of Colangelo and Partners, uh, runs a very successful wine communications agency out of New York City, 10 years old at the time, and said to me, look, you know, we were working together because Colangelo was the agency for Folio. And, uh, you know, it was an opportunity to build upon a really successful company. Uh, was You know, we're growing at, you know, 10 to 15 percent. We're now fifty-five people. We're the largest fine wine and wine, you know, communications agency in the U.S. What are the marketing speak terms that drive you mad? Ballpark. Um, on. Another one. Catch-all. Circle-back. Ring fence. Value engineer. I feel like I'm sitting in a sales meeting at Constellation right now. But well, with me. No, not with you. No. You wouldn't be. You wouldn't no. be in that meeting. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even be the janitor <laughs> for, for that kind of thing. How did you guess? Yeah. We used to actually play bullshit bingo in uh, in marketing meetings and uh, we'd have a little cheat sheet of the nine top words and and you had we gave each other a really obnoxious word that you had to say and weave into a sentence when you when you actually got all nine.
1: So I'll well, give you an example. If you were given X word,
0: obnoxious word would be um, xanthium. What? xanthium? Yeah, exactly. What is xanthium? Cuz we just make it up. We just, just made an obnoxious up. made up word. Yeah. Okay. So we would have to work it into a sentence that you'd have to be standing in front of the CFO or the SVP finance and and argue this exact subject of like because we I was not in the right place so I'll definitely tell you that when okay we were in those meetings
1: all right so you talk about selling wine with words mm-hmm. and words are very very important to you mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about bivalves but uh, obviously words are very very important to you mm-hmm. why are they so important and why do we and I work in the communications business often get it wrong and how do we get it wrong and how can we stop getting it
0: wrong? I think sometimes we're too afraid to be who we are and we're afraid to be vulnerable and tell the parts of our stories that are not what we would consider whistle clean. And we worry too much about how we're going to be perceived and we don't understand necessarily who our audience is and what they want to hear. And and we become quite product focused and, and really interested in our own perspectives of what we think is important. And what we lose is the humanity of, of the story. It's, you know, of, co- of course that involvement in our communication changes depending on who we're talking to. If we're meeting with a distributor or we're meeting with a you know, the PLCB, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, who really come in at price and, and you know, shelf set, they're less interested in the more romance or the emotional connection of a story. But then you have a consumer and a consumer wants to be entertained. You know, they want to be educated and, and and they want to love what we do and, and the wines that we enjoy
1: and Okay, so at the moment, what campaigns are you working on at the moment?
0: Right now we're working on a California Wine Institute campaign, which is an ongoing program and Is that a global program? It's, it's a US program All of the programs that we do really are US focused. We have a couple of exceptions to that with uh, the Fresca Baldi's, obviously, because they have a very strong communications focus here in Italy and so we partner with them for Europe and the US to, and mostly online to make sure everything that's being communicated, you know, across Geographies is consistent, but the California project is is interesting and it's a obviously a fantastic campaign because we are talking about some of the most beautiful wine growing areas in the world. But of course, we've just been through the wildfires, and so the amount of uh, the focus that has to shift quite quickly. We're obviously dealing with very sensitive subjects because we're talking about you know topics that are just you can't plan for them clearly. Sure,
1: I mean, isn't isn't one of the issues with I imagine? Correct me if I'm wrong. The threat of millennials falling in love or re-falling in love with French, Italian, natural, whatever you want, European wines, for want of a better word, Mm -hmm. which they perceive as having more romance... And possibly, you know, lower alcohol, not really maybe sustainability. And they're exciting because they're from the old world. Is that has that left California wines in the shade in California, in the US? I
0: don't think it's left them in the shade. I would say, you know, imported wine in the US is still probably only ten percent total market share in terms of sales. Absolutely skewing higher with millennials. But we don't think that's a negative thing because if they're drinking wine, they're not drinking craft beer or spirits or other, you know, share of stomach. And so we look at it and say, you're coming into the beverage alcohol sector, and if you're coming in with a love for it and a discovery, there's an endless... You know, wine is about discovery. It's this endless want to learn. And, the, the you know, the beauty is with something like California, they can actually come and see it, right? These, the demographic wants things they can touch, see, feel and engage with.
1: Virtually or physically?
0: Physically absolutely. Virtually is obviously because there are all of our digital assets are at our fingertips right? We can check in, we can GPS our way to places and we can take a photo of a label and look it up to hear what others have said about it. But to be able to come to the vineyards or visit the winery or see a harvest in action or smell a ferment or taste a barrel sample, you know is something that I think is so unique to wine and it's not new. We were doing this when I was working in tasting rooms. You know, one of the greatest things we do is bring in ripe grapes straight from the vineyard so that people could taste, you know, the raw product. And really, that's where your education process starts. I think the beauty with millennials is they won't be marketed to. They can find out any amount of information that they choose. Our challenge as an industry is we need to go and meet them where they are and stop assuming that they're going to come to our tasting room. And by the way, if they put that case of wine in the back of the car, we better make sure we can follow where they go, what they do with it, how they drink it, who they share it with, and follow up with them in a way that it's a conversation they want to have. It's not just, oh, good, now we've got your email address and we're going to blast you with a whole bunch of meaningless carry-on.
1: So, final question, what happens when you when you sort of leave the wine industry and go back to Australia and McLaren Vale? What are you going to do? you Are you going to grow vegetables? Are you going to just put your feet up? I mean, you sound, you seem like quite a, a driven person, who is always on the go, quite sort of wired, are you you capable of relaxing?
0: Yeah, I'll never... Number one, I'll never leave the wine business because I'll never leave the land. It's something that I love. My happiest place is when I'm home or on the beach, and what would I do? We always have a joke, my best friend is a winemaker from Tasmania and we have a joke that we'd probably just have a really big shared house with all the families together. We'd have rocking chairs with champagne bucket in the middle. I would have at least two studios, one for yoga, one for meditation, a very large dining table and we would just see out the rest of the days. Um, I have a very uh, juxtaposed life I guess because I'll leave here and go and you know sit in the desert in silence for a week very happily
1: take a bottle of water
0: a lot of water
1: yeah health and safety is a big (laughs) concern of this uh, podcast just to say thanks very much to rebecca hopkins executive vice president of carlangelo and partners in san francisco but originally from a very nice part of the world mclaren vale and it looks like one day you will probably end up there
0: yeah i think you're right monty thanks so much for having me enjoy
1: enjoy the rest of your time in
0: america i will thanks so much thanks for coming in Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.